the meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February meeting of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I am Vice Chair Jackie Fielder, and I'm joined by Commissioners Dean Preston, Hope Williams, and Shanti Singh. And our clerk today is the fabulous Stephanie Cabrera. And I'd also like to thank the staff at TV for broadcasting this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Commission recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. Public comment will take, be taken on each item on this agenda. For those watching either channel 26 or sfgovtv.org, public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. Phone number is 415-655-0001. Once again, that is 415-655-0001. Then enter meeting ID 2494-222-1523 and press pound twice. You will be connected and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining via the telephone should dial star 3 to be added to the speaker queue. Please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices that you may be using. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following two ways. Email them to me, the LAFCO clerk at Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E dot Cabrera, C-A-B-R-E-R-A at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our City Hall office at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Thank you, and that concludes my communications. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And I want to give my fellow commissioners a friendly reminder to, instead of raising your hand to speak, put your last name in the chat, and that will serve as records for the minutes. Um, Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Vice Chair Felder? Here, present. Member Preston? Present. Member Williams? Present. Thank you. Vice Chair, you have a quorum. Thank you. And Madam Clerk, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Chair Connie Chan from this meeting. Commissioners, can I have a second? Second. Moved by myself and seconded by Commissioner Preston. Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Thank you. On the motion to excuse Member Chan, Member Williams? Aye. Aye. Member Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. And Vice Chair Felder? Aye. Vice Chair Felder, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Chair Connie Chan is excused without objection. Can you please call item number two? Item number two is approval of the LAFCO minutes from the January 19th, 2023 regular meeting. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001 when prompted and to meeting ID 2494-222-1523 and then press pound twice. If you have not done so already, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please continue to hold until you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Do any commissioners have any changes to the minutes from the January 20th meeting? 
Seeing no changes, we will open this up for public comment and speakers will have one minute. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on item number two? Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. There appears to be one listener with zero in the queue to speak. Thank you. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Um, commissioners, is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Thank you. Moved by Commissioner Presson. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Williams. Um, seconded by Commissioner Williams. Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Commissioner Williams? Aye. Williams, aye. Commissioner Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Vice Chair Felder? Aye. Felder, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you. Madam Clerk, please call item number three. Item number three is a reinvestment group working group report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2494-222-1523, then press pound twice. If you haven't done so already, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. All right, well, we're now going to hear from our amazing policy analyst, Khalid Samurai and uh, Yakimo Bagarella from HRNA Advisors. So I figured we would give this item 10 minutes for presentation, and then we can have um, as much time as 10 minutes for Q and A. Um, I have seven years of thoughts on this project, but I will definitely let my commissioners answer or ask their questions. So uh, please take it away. Thank you, um, commissioners. And um, I believe my co-presenter Giacomo um, is on as well. Giacomo, I'll be controlling um, our PowerPoint, for, uh, the PowerPoint from last night, um, and we'll turn it over to you. Great, um, thank you. And so my understanding is that um, you'd like me to focus on the green bank question and then talk about the MFC and the public bank um, deliverables separately, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Great. Um, and if you don't mind, I, I would. I was going to suggest that I, I read the disclaimer first before I say anything else, as we're required <laughs> to do. Um, so the following presentation was prepared by HRNA Advisors, a consultant to the city and county of San Francisco. The presentation does not include legal advice, and HRNA Advisors does not represent that the presentation or the recommendations or conclusions therein comply with applicable laws governing the establishment or operation of a non-depository municipal finance corporation or a municipal bank. Under the city charter, the city attorney is the legal advisor to the city and only the city attorney or his authorized delegates may advise the city on legal issues, including such issues pertaining to municipal banking. Thank you, okay. Giacomo. Um, so then, um, in as as you all know, um, the when, when we were hired initially, um, the the main deliverables include the business plan, governance plan, and viability plan for the municipal finance corporation or MFC and the public bank. Um, we delivered these uh, draft documents last week, 
in addition to two separate memos, one that um, sort of highlights some open questions on which we seek feedback from the working group public and, and other participants in this process, and one where um, we responded to questions that we received from um, Khaled and, and Lafco on the potential creation of a green bank um, entity for San Francisco. And we know that that's a matter of interest to you know, the city as a whole, to LAFCO, to the um, environment department as well. Um, and there have been conversations going on in the background among these and, and other organizations about the topic of, of the um, Green Bank. So if you don't mind, just starting from the next slide, Khaled, um, just so we can start on this topic. Um, where what, what we've concluded based on our research and um, several conversations with um, other individuals and organizations that work in this field is that um, unlike sort of creating a depository financial institution, creating a green bank doesn't really have a blueprint. And besides the, the focus on create, creating an entity that focuses on um, green and climate friendly lending, the structure can really be whatever um, the entity creating it wishes to um, wishes to have. And so there is a lot more freedom and the main constraint is just the, the environmental focus. Um, the, the one, um, from our research, we, we know that the um, University of um, California Berkeley's um, CLE Center, they, documented sort of the the level of spending that San Francisco needs to um, in make to uh, achieve its goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2040 um, that was 21 or 22 billion dollars by within the next sort of 10 15 years and they recommended that one of the main funding sources be the federal greenhouse gas reduction fund um, from our research it appears that this is um, not funding that would be eligible for depository institutions. Although I would like to note that um, last night, member Chi of the reinvestment working group, um, I don't know if she's on this call, noted that um, this is still you know, subject to, um, to final decision and that it might be possible for a depository entity to receive funding um, through some sort of um, intermediary or, or, or other entity. Um, why that matters is that with with this constraint, it, it means that the MFC that the city of San Francisco creates would be eligible for um, this federal funding, but a public bank might not be. Again, those constraints are, are still sort of being um, figured out at, at the federal level and, and there will need to be sort of official legal advice to, to make the determination. With this in mind, um, what we would recommend to the city of San Francisco is that first um, that if the city wishes to have an entity serve as a quote unquote green bank, that the MFC fulfill this purpose because this is aligned with the MFC's, um, one of its main um, priority objectives of investing in um, green infrastructure and, and climate friendly infrastructure, because this would um, simplify you know, not reduce the, the need to create two separate entities and just have one entity that, that can be both the MFC and the Green Bank. And it would add funds to the MFC that could make it more effective as an entity. The question then becomes, if the city decides to transition the MFC into a depository regulated public bank, 
um, it would need to conduct a legal assessment to determine whether the public bank would be eligible to continue holding the federal funds or receive other types of federal funds in the future, or whether you would need to have a sort of subsidiary to the green to the public bank that is non-depository to fulfill this green, green bank function. Um, however, I think, uh, again, at, at, at a high level, the most important thing is that a green bank is something you know important. There's lots of other proven models across the country, and that the MFC could, um, you know, well serve the purpose of a green bank and fulfill both of those objectives. I'll. Do you, would you like me to pause here for questions or proceed into the other topics as well? Um, Commissioners, do you have any questions on the green bank piece alone? Um, I'll just, I'll hold my feedback on, on all this at the end. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can keep going, Giacomo. Great. So if you could go to the previous slide then. Um, sorry. Yeah, this one. Thank you. So um, besides that, the other um, items that I, I would like to call to all of your attention, um, I know several of you have been following the, um, the proceedings of the working group um, and, and providing valuable feedback throughout the process. Um, you will have seen of the documents that, that we submitted last week, you will have seen a lot of the materials already. And so the, the new ones that we've created over the last few months that I would call to all of your attention is first of all, the executive summary that describes the purpose of the MFC and public bank. We've tried to infuse it with this really strongly mission-driven ethos and um, desire to serve the communities of San Francisco in partnership with other CDFIs and community financial institutions, which includes you know, credit unions, community banks, et cetera. Um, the, the second part that relates to this sort of mission-driven ethos is the grounding in the legacy of um, historical discrimination by traditional and, and legacy banks. Um, and these two, um, I think, sections really build on each other and come at the beginning of the business plan to really emphasize why the city is establishing these entities and why the status quo is, is not sufficient to fulfill the needs of San Francisco and its communities. Um, and we're obviously open to receiving feedback on, you know, the wording, the framing, and, and how to express this um, even in an even more compelling way. In addition to that, within sort of the, the governance section, we've included um, several, um, I think, fairly small revisions to the mission and principles that um, I think were, were suggested by the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition. I think that was an excellent start, and we just, I think, honed some of the language to make it clear and, and fit within the broader narrative of these documents. Uh, and we've added at the request of um, the working group, the case study of the Banco Popular from Costa Rica, which is, um, I think probably the, from what we've seen, the primary example um, internationally of a public bank with a two-tiered governance um, structure, which is what the San Francisco Public Bank is um, trying to adopt. So this would serve as an example for people who are um, less familiar with these types of democratic public bank governance structures, which might be um, people within city government, within the communities of San Francisco and among um, state and federal regulators, what the thinking is behind this type of structure and a demonstration that it can be um, successful. And then 
finally the the main sort of technical component that we've included in these latest deliverables are the financial models um, that inform sort of the trajectory for the MFC and the public bank to be to become financially feasible feasible and, and self-sustainable within a period of three to five years. And so those take in a number of assumptions based on the current sort of financial scenario, what we've heard in terms of the types of funds that the city would be willing to commit, the areas that these entities would invest in, and that sort of feeds into know what the um, investments, activities, profits, and, and losses of these entities would be over the, the first three to five years of operations. So um, I can go into more detail into any one of those topics, but um, I think ultimately because these, these, at least for the financial models, especially they're fairly technical in nature, um, they they're best sort of understood by, by reading them firsthand. And then I'm, I'm happy to have follow-up conversations in the coming weeks and months as well. If I could just jump in, Giacomo, um, I feel like the top level um, um, information from the financial models is that that step one Giacomo described, the uh, Municipal Financial Corporation, the non-depository can get started with $20 million in capitalization and um, have a, 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 a profit within um, its third year. And similarly, the full public bank of, of San Francisco could uh, be capitalized with $50 million and turn a profit within three years. Yeah. And, and I would add that, that that is what we've modeled currently based on what we understand is the available availability of funding from the city and sort of the, the situation of the local lending market and, and national financial and interest rate markets. I think there, there are parameters that, that I would note that if the more that the city charges the bank for its funds, the slower the bank's path to profit, profitability will be. Similarly, the less that the bank charges an interest on its loans and products and participations, the slower that path is going to be. And so this is going to be a matter of fine-tuning the money that's coming into the bank, how much it costs the bank to receive that money, the money that is going out to the bank and how much revenue that can generate to get to the point where the, the bank or the MFC are achieving their mission of providing as low-cost loans as possible while still returning enough money that these entities can cover their own costs and continue operating in, in perpetuity. And then another thing for the um, commissioners and for supervisors to consider is that um, <clears throat> one of the requirements of ABA 57, the Public Banking Act of California, is FDIC insurance for any public bank started in California. And so to meet the requirements of the FDIC, um, what Giacomo described and Gary uh, Stephen Finley Associates included in their models is to super capitalize the uh, public bank at its start so that to meet the um, the um, requirements of the FDIC um, insurance. Um, I don't know if we want to discuss these open questions that we went through or just jump straight to the timeline. Timeline is great. Yeah. All right. Um, so as you all may be familiar, we have um, 
set a staggered timeline to deliver the um, final business and governance plans for the MFC by March 31st. And so we'll be receiving feedback from the city and, and, and working collaboratively with the city team um, throughout the next you know, four to six weeks to, to get to that point. And then having a similar process between April and, and mid-May deliver the final public bank deliverables by May 10th. Um, and what what I say final, I, I mean, we will have done our you know best professional diligence and, and job to create materials that you know enable the city to take these entities and, and you know start to structure them and operationalize them. Um, as we've noted in the documents, though, there will be steps that the city has to take separate from our scope, such as hiring management, um, confirming the the source and, and allocation of the funds. Um, and in other matters that um, we we sort of cannot really influence. And so there will still need to be work from the city side to actually stand up these entities and, and start, you know, put money in them and, and then start lending money. So um, I think where obviously our goal is to deliver business plans that get you as close as possible to that objective, but um, there will still need to be things that happen between those final plans and when those entities are able to start operating. And that's something we describe if, if you go to the next slide, just a tentative timeline of, you know, how long it could take and, and we're trying to be sort of as realistic slash conservative as possible here of, you know, we'll deliver these documents by, you know, before the middle of this year, 2023. Um, we hear we estimate that it might take 12 months for the MFC to be created. Obviously, it could take less um, in, if everything works out smoothly. And then um, we've set the staggered path where the MFC operates for roughly one year before um, the city evaluates whether it, it decides to establish a public bank and then begins a process of um, revising and updating the business plan that we've developed for you know, the economic context and policy context that will exist around 2025, 2026, submit this to, to regulators and go through um, you know, the, the final regulatory application and approval process with the goal to then you know, potentially transition the MFC to a public bank towards 2027, 2028. And again, all these dates are, are tentative. These things could be faster, these things could be slower, but um, this is just a, a staggered process with many steps. And, and I think, you know, we, we're making good progress, but we're still towards the beginning. And I would just add a point, the commissioner's attention to item number four. Even if San Francisco has an operational MFC and it wants to start a public bank, it's likely going to take at least a year to two years of going back and forth with the FDIC to actually get a um, FDIC approval and start that public bank. Um, this is kind of what Jocno was discussing earlier. These are things that are outside of their scope. And and they could be part part of those things could be um, sort of things that if you know it you chose to do so we could continue supporting you after the conclusion of this particular scope or you know you could bring in other external experts or, or do this internally but that's the um, sort of other steps that have to happen at some point down the line as well. 
And on the question of governance and how, you know, that disclaimer Giacomo read at the very beginning of his presentation, what the city attorney has done to take on this responsibility is hire an outside consulting law firm to answer these uh, um, corporate formation questions for us. And we hope to get that feedback incorporated into these plans by um, March 31st as well. Thank you. Um, I'm going to open it up for questions from my fellow commissioners. Questions or feedback, we'd really appreciate. I can just go first while we wait for folks. But um, a reminder that feedback is due for the MFC at the end of the month. Um, feedback for the public bank plans due at end of March. And um, I have a million thoughts, but I'll just share my initial ones. Um, Looking to see, I would love to see in, in the next phase of the plans and working on specific language around this, but you know, the principle of, of being able to delineate that profit maximizing is obviously not the goal of the San Francisco public bank or the aspirations for it, but there is a balance to be made between ensuring that the institution is financially sustainable and accepting those lower returns in exchange for the social benefits that it provides, whether that's like keeping a business open, a beloved business and a community open in San Francisco, or you know, being able to meet our climate goals. These are these are social benefits that are not exactly captured in you know the financial models. And that is that is the whole gist of a public bank. Um, and I also want to work around language for having sustainability as a, as a through line through all lending decisions. There are great examples abroad, specifically, I think, Nordic Investment Bank, um, where they do not approve loans if they are carbonizing beyond a certain point. Um, that can be done for housing, for small businesses. There can be standards for you know, measures that, that lendees take. Um, another huge point, we just heard from a community bank from North Dakota yesterday at the reinvestment working group. And they were talking about how precious uh, and helpful their relationship with the Bank of North Dakota is, and that the Bank of North Dakota wouldn't be what it is without those partnerships with local banks uh, and credit unions. And so really looking for more emphasis in all areas on the participation lending. Um, uh, hopes for a public bank. And then um, there are some just concerns about green banking in general. It's very vague term and it looks differently in a lot of places, but um, do have concern about the first loss position uh, principle, which would guarantee, you know, private financers, um, you know, their returns or minimal losses. I think that's a, a risky thing for the the green bank to take on. I see in Ithaca who just in 2021 promised to decarbonize, I think 10,000 homes. What they're doing to finance that is having Wall Street come in to provide the capital and in exchange, it looks like, and there's not a lot of clarity, which is concerning. It looks like Wall Street is being able to um, be guaranteed that whatever savings are made from the utility customers is actually going to be passed on to Wall Street. And that's obviously not what we want. We want benefits to be 
kept in communities and to ratepayers too um, when it comes to decarbonization. Also the use of FICO credit scores with some green banks, which is an inherently racist tool. Um, funneling benefits to solar companies or third parties. So there's, there's models to look at and also to learn lessons from. Um, there's, yeah, there's questions about the MFC governance that are outstanding and are being looked at um, with the city attorney and other reinvestment working group members. Um, and I also just wanted to share with my fellow commissioners that there are gonna be conversations with LAFCO and the Department of Environment, um, community orgs working on just transition in San Francisco, and also uh, the SFPUC chair who is interested in a green bank. Um, so looking at how we can, one, capture the funds for a greenhouse gas from the IRA bill um, that may entail applying to like a state level entity at some point, but those funds get distributed starting in June. So we really need to have those conversations right now as the plans for MFC and Green Bank are shaking out. And then um, secondly, you know, what is the transparency and accountability over that? Um, and that's the same questions for MFC stuff. So these are, these are ongoing conversations and your, your opinions are appreciated. Um, Commissioner Singh. Um, just wanted to start by saying uh, thank you so much for this presentation. And um, I have been—I haven't read the entire draft plan yet, but um, I was really heartened to see um, the 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 breadth of possible um, topics that we the, that the public bank can explore on housing specifically. Um, I don't know if this is um, unless people unless you have thoughts on this right now, but I think one thing that I'm going to want to con continue to explore um, in addition to What's in there around, you know, equity like capital, short-term financing, gap financing, and, and alternative products, that last part made me really especially excited, um, is looking into or flagging that there are efforts, there there are efforts to, to explore that are sort of concurrent with the, 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 to put it by the conservative timeline that we're going with for public banking. I mean, that's kind of the timeline that I'm seeing that a lot of sort of social housing advocates have. Um, in the city, but also at the state and federal level. So that kind of matches up there. Um, but but essentially, you know, how we could plug a public bank into a potentially a municipal system and municipal ownership of land and housing in particular. Um, I know that there's a lot of work being done with our, you know, with our nonprofit housing providers, which is awesome to see. I know that they were consulted very heavily in this draft. Um, but then there also is discussion ongoing um, and advocacy for what, you know, what municipal ownership of acquisition or acquisition of housing or production of housing or really, really both how they feed into each other and, and like how, um, how maybe that those revenues, right, could be like plugged into a public banking system. So that's just, that's my flag for now. Thank you. And, and Commissioner Singh, if Sorry, I, I missed you listed some products that you found particularly interesting and would like to see emphasized. Do you mind just repeating what they were just to make sure I have, I have the list? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> just I mean, uh, just from the from the from the draft, especially, um, you know, I, I, I really appreciated that there was I, I mean, some of the some of the 
products that were proposed, like short-term and gap financing, those are things that we're definitely going to need, right? But in terms of um, supporting the creation of alternative products like land banks, for example, or, or community land trusts, um, things of that nature, I, th I think that I found that particularly interesting because there is open discussion around um, having a more comprehensive strategy for the city acquiring and, and banking land. That's all I have for now. Sorry, Jackie, I was reading your lips. Did you say Commissioner Williams? Okay, great. Um, so I, I, I have a question and then I have a, um, a couple of things. Uh, so for Khaled especially, was there any part of this report that was especially illuminating for you in the working group? Um, not So certainly the report itself, the, the history of discrimination in the banking industry, but also talking um, to residents of San Francisco about their experience dealing with racism in the private banking industry was particularly illuminating. Mainly for me, um, these private banks could be making a profit by working with people of color and communities of color, but they simply choose to, not to. Their racism overrides their um, need for profit. And so to me, I think that um, highlights the need for a San Francisco public bank more than anything else. Thank you. Um, really like that answer. It is pretty astonishing, isn't it? And um, how it manifests itself and oppresses uh, the, those who are most marginalized and happen to look like me. <laughs> um, so I, I guess to the next point, I do appreciate the like kind of initial grounding when we're talking about numbers, when we're talking about race and um, the effects that that ha like racism has on these communities and how that, um, again, very astonishing. Khaled actually said it a lot better than I ever could, um, which kind of, um, I'm trying to decide whether or not I wanna start with housing or with board composition, but I think I'm gonna start with board composition because I could talk about housing for hours. Um, there was some language in there and I was just interested to know whether or not it could be explored that one of in in this report it says that the proposed outside board members will all be experienced business people and will have sat or sit on corporate or nonprofit boards and um so a couple of things just to wrap it in that for now um board composition i was wondering if there could be a consideration on kind of the demographics and who on this board reflects which members of the community and what they look like. Um, you know, I have had the privilege and trauma of serving on, on a lot of nonprofit boards and quite often it is white cis males with maybe a couple of women or people of color. And I see that changing now and I see a future for that in this board. Um, in governance. And then next is something that has been increasing more and being talked about more in the nonprofit world is paying board members in the state of California. We are allowed to do that. And the reason that we're talking about it is because we want to encourage participation as 
and pay BIPOC board members for their labor because we in this space right now have the privilege on being on this call and making time for this. And uh, the communities that this report continues to point to um, normally don't. So it's, I think that is a really important thing to consider. And then um, I think also in a sense, and this is newer that I'm bringing and this is just the world that I operate in now, but it is also considered kind of a quiet form of reparations and participating in boards and being paid. Um, and then board requirements, could there be space for two board members who are residents, who aren't necessarily business people, who haven't served on a nonprofit board, who haven't sort served on a corporation board? Um, because again, it is typically the folks that look like me and again, the communities in this document that we keep pointing towards as numbers um, that have never had that kind of access um, and have never had access to that kind of privilege, which we are all very privileged to be able to do this. Uh, and then um, uh, Shanti actually said a lot about the housing pieces and there are so many alternative housing models, community land trusts, limited equity housing cooperatives, permanent real estate cooperatives, um, the list goes on. And then in terms of financing and in terms of research, San Francisco is fascinating in what it has been able to do. I mean, you have a labor union that built a cooperative for its members. You have multiple, multiple cooperatives in actually the Fillmore Western edition um, and you, and so in pausing on that and then talking about the financial model, I think Jackie brought it up. There are a lot of financial institutions that have made these projects possible specifically and not to play favorites with the self-help credit union. I can see being a fantastic partner in these efforts. So I'm going to stop there. Um, thank you. That's all. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Williams. Would you like to respond, Khalid or Yakimo? Uh, um, so on, on the point of board members, um, I think we have language currently on making sure that um, members would be residents of, of San Francisco or representative of, of communities of San Francisco or, you know, have business or other ties to the area. Um, obviously, you know, the Bay Area is, is so integrated that you could think about, you know, broadening that or, or seeing if, if there's any exemptions. Um, I think we've, we've gone a little bit back and forth between an original version of the governance plan that had um, board members, more board members being just community representative. I think we went back to a version where they're more, um, they're still representative of the community, but um, have that nonprofit or, or, or business experience for the purpose of, of getting um, more favorable outlook from, from the regulators. Um, 
I think there's still a way to to balance those two and, and we can look at ways and you know I don't can say what what number of you know people should or should not be community members or quote unquote experts um, right now, but that's something we can definitely look at. Um, I my understanding is that the bank board itself is a paid role. Um, I would have to check with um, my um, colleague Gary about what the typical compensation is. I think one one question I, I would raise, I completely agree with you that um, board and bank oversight commission members should be compensated for their time to increase access for people who, who are not you know typically given access to these roles. Um, again, like thinking about, we, we're currently working with a fairly large bank oversight commission of 25 people depending on um, what the right level of compensation is for them. Um, I think we, we just want to be very aware of like startup costs for the bank and getting on a trajectory that, that keeps the bank sustainable and, and, and minim, minim, excuse me, minimizing um, costs. And I know that term can sound um, bad, but it's just thinking about how do we fine tune everything such that the bank achieves its mission um, of making affordable loans of representing the community but also of of being a self-sustaining entity that um, can continue to operate and, and steward the city's money appropriately so those are all things that we're considering and, and i take your point and, and commissioner singh's points on on housing and those are things that we can add in future versions yeah thank you for that i think um oh can i respond is that okay great um i think it's a little it's like one cancels out the other when we say we want there to be members that represent a community, but we require them to have had that corporate or nonprofit experience. I think that's kind of like a little bit. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that those things have been taken into consideration. I hope that can be wrote back in. And then in terms of pay, um, when I say quiet reparations, and I mean a way to kind of maneuver through that and to create more sustainability and to distinguish between the privileged and the not privileged and the ones who have had access and the ones who haven't had access is to make it voluntary for those board members to choose whether or not they'd like to be paid. And hopefully, hopefully the ones who are most privileged, also white, also wealthy, will opt out of that kind of payment. And um, again, these are things that are new and burgeoning in the nonprofit world and things that I've been working in for the last couple of years, but just as in consideration, that would be that would be great. Um, thank you, Yakma, I appreciate your answer. Um, uh, Vice Chair, could I add to that? So um, Commissioner Williams, thank you for your uh, comments and your questions. Um, one of the things where looking at modeling is uh, a two-tiered um, me uh, method of control for these entities, both for the MFC, that non-depository, and the public bank. So that <clears throat> you're right, that bank board or MFC board, those are financial experts who need to like run the day-to-day -day of the bank. But above them, and this is something we're looking into, we want to have a controlling um, authority made up of exactly the folks you're describing who don't have the expertise but know what they need. They know where financial investments need to go and can direct that board to do those things. And we know those things are profitable. 
Um, we just need them to behave in an anti-racist way. And we believe that that top level commission comprised of San Francisco residents and um, <clears throat> folks working in these uh, different areas can provide that oversight. Now, the legal mechanism of that oversight and whether the FDIC will accept that and all that regulatory approval, we're still working through that. The goal at the end of the day is to have as much community control by um, um, disenfranchised communities over their own um, um, success. Yeah, I'll just add to that. There's a real um, legal puzzle to figure out with and trade-off, it looks like, with giving that tier, that top tier, all of those 25 reps real teeth with one, the charter, um, and also the regulators. Um, so actively trying to figure out that question. But thank you so much, Commissioner Williams. Um, Commissioner Preston. Thank you. Um... Yes, uh, I commented more extensively on this when we had the extension of the working group ordinance in uh, in committee recently, and so um, I won't I won't re ask stuff we discussed there. I will just say very excited uh, to have the draft uh, plans, and really appreciate all the work, and really uh, echo Vice Chair Fielder's in invitation to the public to to weigh in. Like now is the time this month, and. Uh, and next to really um, uh, to really give feedback. So I, you know, I, I just I wanted to thank you, uh, Vice Chair Fielder, for your many many years of advocacy, without which we would definitely not be here. And the entire um, public bank coalition, um, the working group have been doing amazing work. Uh, HRNA and, and uh, Jacqueline and his team, um, and and our, the LAPCO team. I, I mean, it's just, it's. Um, I will say when you know when we when we work the public bank coalition to 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 set up the working group like you never know uh, some working groups you know deliver and some are out there for a long time this is definitely in the former camp uh, and and it's been really encouraging to see so much progress so um, I guess a couple comments more on the substance and then and then I think I just have one question I'll try to keep it short um, as as you indicated, I think we could all talk for hours on this, but not in this meeting. Um, I, I want to echo the comments both from Commissioner Williams and Commissioner Singh around um, around housing investments in particular, um, and just maybe add to it the context where the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco just approved a housing element calling for 46,000 new affordable homes with no plan, no roadmap, no nothing that will actually get us there. And it's been causing me to uh, be at many frustrating hearings, trying to get answers from people. But it's like, there, there's no path to delivering on the affordable housing commitments we just made without a robust public bank in San Francisco. I truly believe that. This is an eight-year plan of 46,000 units. And even, even the, the most optimistic housing or planning official in this administration will not look you in the eyes or or 
come onto a, into a, a hearing and say, here's our plan when it's actually going to produce 46,000 units. Like they, they will all say there are massive funding gaps and without a plan unless the state comes in and saves the day. So uh, I hope the state will come in and save the day. But in the meantime, we're going to create a public bank and get serious about, about funding it. Um, I, I would also echo that like there are things even with more money, right? There are things that the our existing systems are not set up to fund in the housing space. And Commissioner Williams and Commissioner Singh are, you know, very well acquainted and experts on this and have identified those things like land banking, uh, community land trusts, limited equity co-ops, um, municipal housing. Um, it, it, the, the, they're, they're, you know, there's sort of the beginnings of like efforts to scale up funding on those fronts, right? But virtually nothing, maybe nothing from the state, unless you get really creative, nothing at all from the federal government. And so that's been, that is an area where, you know, as a city, we, you know, it's, it's exciting to, and it's exciting to see those things named some of those strategies uh, in these documents. And we may wanna moving toward a final version, elaborate and, and uh, on those different strategies, because I think for a lot of folks focused on the housing piece, which is sort of one of the three major pieces here, that's uh, one of that, you know, the, that's part of the case for funding and creating a public bank will be to be able to meet those goals. Um, I, I really appreciated, uh, you, Vice Chair Fielder's um, comments around looking at all of the different investments through an environmental impact lens. And I would just add to that also looking at all of the investments through a labor lens as well, right? So whether it's investments in housing um, or green infrastructure, whatever it is, I think we need to, whatever the standards are we're setting uh, across the portfolio basically uh, should include environmental impact as well as as well as basic land labor standards. Um, uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention is just the um, the draft reparations report that was uh, released sort of a separate track by the reparations um, advisory committee um, and just wanted to to make sure the public is aware, that a public bank is an explicit recommendation in the draft reparations uh, re plan. And then that is sort of running side by side with our public bank discussion. Uh, that will have a hearing before the Board of Supervisors in March, and then moving toward finalizing that on a similar track uh, that we're on. But there's a lot of connections, as Commissioner Williams has pointed out, some of them between the the work in the movement for reparations and public banking, both in terms of the existence of a public bank and also in terms of what specifically the public bank can lend on. And many of the strategies, like when you look at the housing recommendations in the draft reparations report, they include the very strategies we're talking about that can't get funded anywhere else. They include uh, resident ownership in the black community, um, you know, through things like co-ops and land trusts. So those are in those are recommendations of the reparations report. So it's great to see the connection and and the synergy, and I think also helps uh, with really the mandate for um, for moving forward with with uh, the public bank as described. So um, I I just had one question on so. I know we all operate from 
a position of like, especially in the current budget climate of trying to see like, what's the least money we can spend to set something up, right? Like a very conservative approach. And that may well be the path we have to take. But I wanted to ask uh, Giacomo or, or, or Colin, just like, what would actually be the impact of greater capitalization? Like, in other words, instead of a 20 million and 50 million as the basics of what you need, if it were 40 million or 100 million, like, what's the practical impact of that? Does that just mean, does it mean we do more lending? Does it mean we can get to profitability quicker and staff up? Like, what, 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 and, and, and is that kind of model then should it be um, in here? Because I, at some point, we're going to have to make some big decisions as a city or a, as voters, right? We're going to have to look at, the budget in San Francisco with my board of supervisors hat on and decide what we're putting in, or we're gonna have to go to voters and make a case on the ballot. Um, and I don't know, you know, it may be that that the the fiscal times warrant taking this a cautious approach and saying, here's the minimum we need, let's just set it up. But what if there's an appetite for more? What would the, pra the practical impact of that be? Yeah, so, so I'll give an initial response and then, um... You know, this, these are also things that um, Gary Finley knows more about and, and I can follow up with him. So I think th there's two questions. There's the capitalization, which is the money that's put in at the beginning to sort of set up the entity, absorb the initial, you know, few years of losses as things get going and to um, sort of absorb losses over the long term and make sure that the bank is still still financially stable. I think on the capitalization side, the increasing that amount might permit you to make quote unquote riskier loans um, or loans that you have less um, certainty that will be paid back. Um, so that's something, that's my initial response on, on capitalization that I think, you know, Gary, I'm sure could, would be able to expand upon. I don't, I think after a certain threshold, especially for the public bank, the, the regulators are, are not really, not necessarily going to care if it's like 50 or, they, they might actually be sort of puzzled by um, larger numbers. I, I just don't know what their mentality is, but um, it might strike them as odd that some bank is being capitalized with with much more money than they would expect. But you know, those are things again we can have a separate conversation about. I think almost m more important is for the funding, which is the bulk of the money that gets lent out, you know, day to day, month to month, is what conditions does the city set for that funding? Is it quote unquote free money that the bank doesn't have to pay any amount to the city in terms of you know interest or, or cost of capital? And that then makes it much easier for the bank or the MFC to make loans at lower cost? Or does the city you know, give funding to the bank with some expectation of even if it's like 1%, 2%, whatever the going interest rate may be, if there's an expectation of return, then the bank has to charge a little bit more just to cover those costs. And so I think there's the question of how much money, there's also the question of what 
strings come attached to the money that the city provides um, in terms of interest rates, in terms of, you know, duration of, is it, you know, five-year terms, 10-year terms. I know for um, money that the treasurer controls, they have some pretty strict um, requirements around term duration and expectations of return and safety, et cetera. So th there's multiple parameters to to sort of toggle and, and trade off in this. Um, and I'm sure we, we can have a more extensive conversation at, at some other point as well. Um, but I would say, you know, to facilitate the mission of these entities, Yes, I think more money is good um, up to a certain point because as, as they're being established, they won't have the capacity to put out all of this money right away. This just takes a while to build up the portfolio of projects. And so, you know, gradual approach, I think, is, is sound to, to help these institutions get their feet under them. And then more, more importantly is what are the strings attached to the ongoing funding money that will determine um, the bank's ability to lend below market? Does that um, answer your question? Just, it, it, it does. Thank you. That, that's really helpful to know. It's, and it sounds like it's it, in some ways the, the, the appetite to subsidize is, is almost as an ongoing question around the actual terms of, of providing the, the funding, right? The, the interest rates and the terms of, of that subject to whatever restrictions and fiduciary duties the treasurer's got. But that, that policy question, right, of whether a of how aggressively the the city is going to make the the funding available on an ongoing basis, yeah, um, it in in some ways may be more relevant than the initial startup capitalization costs. Is what I'm hearing. Yes, um, and, and I would add, sorry, Colin, just just no, one more ahead. thing. Um, in in one of our previous presentations in the working group, we recommended that alongside the investments that are made in the MFC and public bank, the city provide other um, funding to support these entities. So for example, you know, CDFIs would potentially like to take more capital from the bank and make more loans, but they don't have the staff. Mm -hmm. The bank especially the bank, will not be in a position to pay for the CDFIs to have more staff, but the city could give grants to CDFIs that the bank work with works with so that they can have more staff and capacity to do those participations with the bank. Um, so that is just one example of things that aren't loans, aren't products that are, mm -hmm. or, you know, activities that will be repaid, but that complement what the bank is doing and enable it to to lend at a greater scale and fulfill its mission. Thank you. Um, and I would just like to add, uh, Supervisor, that the city of San Francisco gives out millions of dollars in loans every single year, as we saw in Appendix C of the 2019 Treasurer's Task Force report. Now, whether those are loans that we actually get back or they're they're called loans and then they're turned into grants at some point and written off. We actually don't know right now, but the um, uh, much more than 20 million or 50 million is actually being um, given out by the city every single year. And if I, I could just add one comment, uh, Commissioner Preston, uh, uh, Jeremy Pollock, Executive Officer for LEFCO, uh, on that question of, of additional capitalization for the bank. 
uh, something that uh, Gary Finley had mentioned in one of our conversations asking about that of um, the regulators, if they saw an application for a bank with, say, $100 million capitalization, they would expect a more sophisticated operation and might be um, have additional considerations. And that for the the bank, at least, not uh, speaking about the MFC, he he saw that fifty million dollar capitalization as as the sweet spot. Thank you. Yep, very helpful. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Uh, last note on funding. Uh, just a note: Bank of North Dakota was actually established in nineteen nineteen with um, bonds, and there are green banks. Again, not public banks, they're not depository, but green banks that have been started with um, utility customer bill surcharges. I'm not advocating for that necessarily. There's also public pension funds in San Francisco. There's also pooled investment fund, though there's disagreement about um, that between the treasurer and tax collector and the budget and legislative analyst office. So lots of different opportunities There's also tax, specifically dedicated to such an initiative. So there, there are options. All right, this was a great discussion. Thank you all so much. Thank you, um, Khalid and uh, Giacomo. And we're gonna move on now. So with that, uh, I think we'll open up for public comment now. So are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number one, please? Great. Item number three, star three now to be added to the Those already on board. Unmuted. Hello, commissioners. Uh, Eric Brooks with Californians for Energy Choice and the local grassroots organization, Our City SF. Uh, <clears throat> this is a great discussion, but I want to touch on something that Commissioner Fielder brought up at the very end, which is the most important thing that I have not heard in the discussion, and that is that as we form these MFC and public bank entities, it is absolutely crucial that we flesh out and make sure we've planned well for the use of what's called revenue bonds. So for the public, revenue bonds are paid back by uh, whatever service or uh, facility you create that the customers in a city use. So with electricity, for example, if we were to build a uh, wind farm off of the coast, uh, then you use the customer bills electricity bills to pay that back. And in the case of things like uh, clean energy and housing and public housing uh, <clears throat> and co-op housing, those are very promising because with clean energy, for example, you know that the wind farm is going to save you money over the long term because you don't have to uh, buy fuel to run the generators. And so because you've got that savings that you know you're going to get from energy efficiency and clean energy installations, that makes it easier to pay off the bonds, and it makes revenue bond financing a, a key thing that has to be planned for in these banking entities. If you don't have robust revenue bond fin financing capacity, you won't be able to spend large amounts of money doing big build-outs of clean energy and affordable housing, co-op housing in the city. Uh, so uh, it's important that whoever's consulting on this and that you as commissioners yourselves 
look uh, deep into making sure that the revenue bond capa uh, leveraging capacity and issuing capacity of these entities that we're going to create is really strong. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Feldert. That is the only speaker. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Sorry, my computer's having issues today. Um, all right, seeing no more speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four? Item number four is the Community Choice Aggregation CCA Activities Report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2494 Two 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 one five two three. Then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will prompt and say that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you. And now um, we will hear from Deputy Assistant General Manager for Clean Power SF. Director Michael Himes. Um, Director Himes, if you could please keep your presentation in 10 minutes, that would be much appreciated. Absolutely. Good morning, Vice Chair Fielder and fellow LAFCO commissioners. Uh, Mike Himes, SFPUC. Um, I do have a presentation for you, which I will bring up. Give me one moment. Okay, it looks like it's working now. Can you see that? Yes. Okay, great. Um, okay, I think we got it there in presentation mode. Um, so for my Clean Power SF update today, I'm gonna to cover Clean Power SF's enrollment and service statistics. Um, our recent community power update public meeting. Um, I'm also gonna share some information regarding the high cost of energy we've uh, been experiencing over the past few months. And lastly, I'll provide an update uh, about the California Public Utilities Commission's recent decision creating a successor to the net energy metering program for rooftop solar. So first and briefly, Clean Power SF continues to successfully serve its customers and participation in the program remains stable. Since the last update I uh, provided in January, we've seen no significant changes in our enrollment and participation uh, statistics. Although we are continuing to see strong interest in our super green 100% renewable power product, especially from commercial customers, uh, that are subject to the city's renewable energy ordinance. Um, although our percent of participating accounts in super green has not grown significantly, we are seeing strong growth in our super green energy sales. Um, 
We're also planning more outreach and engagement around, around Super Green in the coming months. Uh, so we'll share more information with you uh, as that effort comes together. We recently held our first community power update meeting of 2023 um, on Thursday, February 9th. These meetings are dedicated opportunities for the SFPUC's power enterprise to hear from community organizations and partners and to share updates about our programs, including updates from Clean Power SF. You may recall that we launched these quarterly meetings in 2020 during the pandemic. We've continued to hold the meetings virtually to make it as easy as possible for community leaders and partners to attend. We had about 25 RSVPs and 11 attendees join us on February 9th, uh, representing various organizations, including uh, listed here, Quick Carbon, um, the SF LAFCO, uh, Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation, San Francisco District 2 Supervisor's Office, uh, Garden for the Environment, um, our San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's uh, Power Citizens Advisory Subcommittee, and Reclaim Our Power. Since it was our first meeting of the year, uh, SFPC staff provided an overview of recent power milestones and accomplishments, like the completion of Clean Power SF's 2022 Integrated Resource Plan. We shared highlights of recent uh, local projects energized by Hetch Hetchy Power, as well as our work to directly engage with our customers living in affordable and public housing throughout the city. We know that customers are facing high energy bills right now, so we walked folks through what's driving these cost increases and how the SFPUC and Clean Power SF is offering rates that are cheaper than PG&E. Um, both uh, for Clean Power Steps Green and Super Green services, which I'll talk about a bit more in a moment. We provided a brief update on our efforts to acquire PG&E's local distribution assets, as well as shared information about bill relief that the SFPUC was able to secure for its customers from the state of California. And we shared information about the ways in which we are promoting greater electrification of building and transportation through our Clean Power SF heat uh, pump water heater contractor incentive program and our EV charge SF rebate and technical assistance program for new construction. We covered a lot of ground at this meeting and we followed up with attendees asking for their feedback and input to help inform future meetings. Um, I'd like to thank Executive Officer Pollock for attending and contributing to our conversations. Um, and uh, of course, we'd, we'd like to see more and greater participation from the community in these meetings, and we'd welcome LAFCO's support in reaching out uh, and sharing information about these meetings with the community partners you're working with. Our next meeting will be Thursday, May 11th. So I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about what's going on with energy bills right now in California. You may have seen news articles about this recently, uh, or you may be experiencing it directly on your own bill. On your PG&E bill, you likely pay for both natural gas and electricity service. And so sometimes it is not clear where the cost increase may be coming from. There are several things happening together right now that are causing higher bills. The first is that here in San Francisco, with our mild uh, coastal climate, we tend to use more energy in the winter than in the summer. In the winter, with shorter days, we see more electric heating, 
but we also see more energy, both electricity and natural gas used for space heating. The second thing that's going on is that energy costs, especially natural gas, are up across the globe, but especially here on the west coast of the US, uh, which has been suffering from, uh, as I know you all are aware, uh, prolonged drought, uh, which has increased uh, reliance on natural gas. A cold winter on the west coast is driving up our heating use and demand, but natural gas supply has also been reduced globally by sanctions uh, implemented in response to the war in Ukraine, and that has increased demand for non-Russian sources of natural gas. So the west coast has also been impacted by um, constrained natural gas transmission, which has put additional upward pressure here uh, in our region. Since natural gas is still the marginal source of energy supply in our regional power grid, high natural gas prices have also pushed up electricity supply costs to levels not seen uh, at this time of year before. Another driver of higher bills locally is that PG&E uh, has raised its rates for transmission and distribution service, uh, did that in January. Um, and that was to fund investments they need to make their system uh, 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 more robust against uh, new wildfire uh, concerns. The good news is that we're starting to see natural gas prices subside uh, and the outlook uh, is much better than it was late last year. Um, in addition, there is some relief coming in the form of bill credits from the state of California in March. Um, uh, customers, residential customers should start to see about $90 in bill credits in the form of the California climate credit uh, appearing on their bills, uh, their March bills. Despite these challenges, the SFPUC retains committed, remains committed, excuse me, to offering stable electricity rates to our customers. Our power rates are proposed through a transparent and public process that typically begins in April with adopted new rates starting in July of each year, um, offering stability and consistency. And the good news is that we continue to offer cheaper rates for our elect electricity customers compared to PG&E service. In fact, Clean Power SF's green product is now at least 6% less expensive than PG&E's default generation service on a monthly bill basis. So that's about $8 per month for the typical residential customer. And Clean Power SF's Super Green product is also now at least 4% less expensive than PG&E's default generation service. So San Franciscans are currently benefiting from the lower electricity supply costs by going with Clean Power SF. Okay, for the last part of, of my update, I wanted to share some information about changes that are coming to programs offered to customers with rooftop solar. In December, the CPUC adopted a decision establishing the net billing tariff, uh, or NBT, as a successor to PG&E's net energy metering program. Net energy metering is a program for customers with rooftop solar that provides bill credits for electricity delivered to the grid when the customer is unable to use that solar power in their home or business. The primary change from net energy metering to NBT is that excess solar generation will be credited to a customer's bill at a rate that reflects the wholesale market value of the electricity generation rather than a full retail rate 
So historically, that has included uh, the full retail rate for electric generation, transmission, and distribution. So when will this occur and who will it affect? First, NBT will not apply to existing net energy metering customers that have operating systems. These customers may continue to receive net energy metering for 20 years from the date their system was interconnected. And new on-site solar applicants have until 11.59 p.m. on April 14th of this year to submit an interconnection application to PG&E in order to be enrolled in the existing net energy metering program. Customers that meet this deadline must have their solar systems fully installed and inspected within two years of their interconnection application. So that's April 15th, 2026. Um, excuse me, actually 2025. Um, customers submitting applications on April 15th or later will be placed under the net billing tariff or NBT. PG&E currently anticipates that its NBT will be operational in its billing system by late 2023, early 2024. Until NBT is operational in PG&E's system, customers with, with solar systems that applied for interconnection on April 15th or afterward will receive service under net energy metering. These customers will then transition to NBT once it's operational. Clean Power SF is in the process of evaluating the impacts of this decision on our own net energy metering program and customers. As more information becomes available regarding how the billing for this program will be implemented, we'll share that information with our customers and interested parties. Thank you, Director Himes. Um, sorry, I think we're at 10 minutes, but thank you very much. That wraps up my presentation, thank you. Commissioners, do you have any questions? Please put your name, last name in the chat. Um, I'll try to be really quick about mine. So when you say that Clean Power SF's green rate is a percentage less than PG&E's generation service, is that before or after this new rate increase? Um, it is after the rate increase. Okay. It's and so just to be clear, what the the percentage that I quoted is a is a um, total bill calculation. So uh, in, in a way, it, it's sort of um, indifferent to PG&E's uh, transmission and distribution rates changing because everyone pays those equally: Clean Power SF customers or customers who receive PG&E's generation service. Okay. Um, thank you. And then um, prior to last month's meeting, I asked Executive Officer Pollock to ask you for an update on the power outages due to inclement weather. And um, I know that PG&E is largely responsible for most electricity transmission in the city, but I would appreciate the PUC's insight on this. And I'm wondering if you could provide us an update at next month's meeting on how we're working to mitigate those power outages. Yeah, I can, I'll coordinate further with the executive officer. I mean, as you just stated, PG&E is responsible for Clean Power SF transmission and distribution service to customers. It's part of the CCA model. And PG&E also owns all that data regarding um, outages, local outages. It's um, not very easy data to obtain, um, but I will coordinate with the executive officer to have some kind of information at the next meeting on this. Thank you. 
and just largely related to uh, Clean Power SF and you know the role of this board, I would um, last year the Board of Supervisors made some significant reductions after the BLA found that Clean Power SF had a large number of vacancies and was underspending on its contracts. And I would love an update on the status of budget spending for this fiscal year um, and, and an update on the proposed budget for the upcoming year. Um, and if possible, uh, a Clean Power SF org chart, including any vacancies and temporary positions. Would you be able to bring those next meeting? Yeah, I can prepare something that addresses those requests. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, I'm seeing no other questions. Um, I will open this up for public comment and speakers will have one minute. Um, Madam Chair, sorry, Madam Clerk. <laughs> Adjusting my timer. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Felder. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment on item number four? Please dial star three now. For those already on hold, please continue to hold until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We currently have two listeners with one in the queue. May we please have the first caller? Uh, hello again, Commissioners Eric Brooks, Our City SF, and uh, Californians for Energy Choice. Uh, since uh, Director Hyams mentioned it, it's really important that we bring up the subject of public power and how, what, how that affects clean energy build-out. Um, it's really crucial to understand that if these plans to spend a couple of billion dollars taking over PG&E's wires proceed before we proceed with a citywide clean energy build-out, that's very problematic. And the reason it is, just to give you an example, when Sacramento took over the wires public, as public power district from PG&E, they had to fight with PG&E in court for 20 years to accomplish that. So if we're sidelining a couple of billion dollars that we could be spending on clean energy by getting into a decades-long fight with PG&E over the wires, we're not going to build clean energy fast enough. We cannot make that mistake. So it's very important we build a citywide 100% clean energy network first, then it will make it obvious that we should take over the wires once we've got that network Mr. in Brooks, place. I apologize for the interruption. I apologize for interruption. The speaker's time has elapsed. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, and thank you, Mr. Brooks. So seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number five? Item number five is the executive officer's report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2494-222-1523, then press pound twice. If you have not done so already, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system prompt will say that you have raised your hands. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you. And now we'll hear from Executive Officer Jeremy Pollock. Hello, Commissioners. Uh, you know, go briefly through the Executive Officer's report. Um, this uh, slide summarizes what's in the report that's uh, posted online, except for I neglected to include the, uh, the resolution uh, passed by the Board of Supervisors and sponsored by um, 
um, Supervisor Chan on supporting the LAFCO SFPUC MOU. Um, and just briefly on that, that was um, uh, passed unanimously on January 24th. And we uh, saw the co-sponsorship from President Peskin, along with Supervisors Preston, Walton, uh, Melgar, Ronan, and Safai. And that resolution uh, supported the establishing that, that MOU and also uh, requests that LAFCO continue to monitor Clean Power SF and advise the, the PUC and Clean Power SF. Um, I'm sorry, that should say the PUC and the Board of Supervisors on, uh, on Clean Power SF. Um, and uh, maybe let me go back um, briefly to the a couple items that I'm not going to speak to in depth. Uh, uh, our Coro fellow Walker Woodard has completed his uh, study on po potential policies and programs for promoting e-bike usage uh, with a focus on on delivery workers. Uh, unfortunately, the Coro fellow program has a standing conflict on Fridays, and so Walker wasn't able to join us today. Uh, we're hoping to to make arrangements for him to come at a at a future meeting, uh, and so going to hold off on presenting that. Uh, until we uh, can see if he can do it himself. Um, but uh, his report is attached in, in the executive officer's report and uh, has a great survey of what other uh, municipalities and states are doing and several great recommendations for potential policies. Um, and then just briefly, uh, supervisors uh, Chan and Preston were reappointed to LAFCO uh, with uh, the switch being made of uh, Supervisor Chan being appointed to the alternate seat and Supervisor Preston uh, being in one of the, the regular seats. And uh, one item I want to, to go a little more in depth in is uh, just sort of an update on the state of uh, LAFCO's work plan. Um, this is going to be sort of a preview of that uh, uh, was hoping you all can mull over in advance of uh, our budget uh, discussions coming up in, in the spring and uh, looking for any guidance from you all on. Um, and so this slide lists um, the sort of the three priority areas identified um, in our fiscal year 22-23 work plan, um, you know, Clean Power SF. Um, we're um, uh, engaging on that study on green banking that um, uh, in coordination with the reinvestment working group and uh, um, been in contact with the Department of the Environment and had a good conversation with uh, Clean Power SF Director Michael Himes about that and we're going to be following up with them uh, to be uh, looking at options for for green banking and uh, potential programs that could uh, um, could take advantage of that. Um, and um, yeah, with uh, the, the LAFCO PUC MOU um, has not yet been approved by uh, the PUC. Uh, we're continuing to follow up with, with their commission on that and, and hope to see that uh, brought back to their commission soon. Um, and with that uh, being you know, uncertain at the moment um, and with the Board of Supervisors request for LAFCO to continue to advise on Clean Power SF, um, uh, suggesting that LAFCO could elect to focus on, on more targeted oversight of Clean Power SF uh, and digging into uh, particular topics of interest to the commission. Um, and uh, on the public banking uh, plank of our work plan, uh, the reinvestment working group is aiming to complete their work by the end of May. Uh, and so we'll be looking for guidance from the commission uh, and from the, the reinvestment working group and the board of supervisors to think about uh, how and if LAFCO's work in this area would, would continue uh, with the completion of those reports. Um, and with um, the, the gig economy portion of our, our work plan, uh, the Department of the Environment's pilot program for, for e-bikes is set to launch, I believe, next month. 
um, and we will be uh, playing sort of an advisory role on that and bringing regular updates and continuing to work with the Department of the Environment and others looking for other funding opportunities. Um, and uh, yeah, would look for any guidance from you all on on interest in in that area for the upcoming fiscal year. And then uh, this slide uh, talks about uh, new and potential work that wasn't anticipated uh, in our in our original uh, work plan for the fiscal year. Um, so I've added a, a new heading for uh, municipal housing services uh, coming from uh, two projects uh, at the request of Commissioner Preston. Um, uh, one is a um, is a study on, on resident ownership and control models for the residents of Midtown Park Apartments. Uh, the Midtown Park Apartments is the only city-owned uh, property in San Francisco, and um, uh, Commissioner Preston secured funding in the budget for hiring a facilitator to conduct a, a community process with the residents there to get their um, their input on on the future. Um, ownership and control and status of uh, of their their apartments there. Um, and so uh, we're preparing an RFP for that um, and we'll uh, hope to be bringing that, uh, launching that soon and bringing that back to you next month um, with, um, of course, you know, no contract to be executed or work um, started without uh, the LAFCO commission approval on that. Um, uh, another topic uh, on this this front is uh, again from Commissioner Preston is um, a, a feasibility study on on municipal housing and social housing in San Francisco. Uh, his office is working with the Budget and Legislative Analysts Office on a report on the, related to that, uh, and our intention is to uh, use that report to inform uh, the development of a potential scope of work for an RFP for uh, to do an actual feasibility study on. Um, um, you know, how the uh, financing would work for municipal housing. Uh, and then at last month's meeting, uh, at the results of the, the hearing on the Golden State Energy Act and the California State Auditor's uh, review of uh, safety concerns around investor-owned utilities, um, uh, the commission directed me to do uh, a brief study looking at uh, potential impacts of, of transitioning from PG&E to Golden State Energy and how that would affect electricity service in San Francisco, um, working with stakeholders on developing a scope of that and looking to identify potential resources, whether it's um, uh, interns or academic uh, um, institutions or philanthropic resources to, to conduct that. And uh, we'll report back more uh, hopefully next month on that. And then the last um, uh, idea here is a request that came in from the Office of Board of Supervisors, President Aaron Peskin, uh, asking LAFCO to consider doing a study on the needs for municipal community laundromat services. Um, and this is particularly looking at um, uh, high density uh, residential areas, particularly single resident occupancy hotels uh, in Chinatown is the, the area in, in President Peskin's district where they're uh, seeing a need for this and mentioning the, uh, the dramatic reduction in uh, commercial laundromats in San Francisco. I believe it's about one third of the laundromats in the city have closed and looking at um, you know, the impact on, on sanitation and water usage and general impacts on the community and um, if uh, needs and potential uh, programs for, for the city to uh, either operate its own services or fund uh, laundromat services. 
And so, uh, yeah, would welcome uh, input from you all on this. And uh, our intention is to uh, would, you know, welcome any comments you all have uh, uh, this month on this. And we'll be working with uh, our policy analyst, Mr. Samurai, to, to incorporate that into um, a preview of our budget and work plan um, that we'll bring back to you next month. Um, and start trying to fit all this together into uh, um, you know maybe a Gantt chart of looking at uh, the timeline and resources to see how we can can accomplish this work. Uh, and as always, uh, you know, welcome any other uh, initiatives you all are interested in uh, the commission pursuing. And uh, let's see. Yeah, and then lastly, the uh, the executive officers report includes uh, um, uh, a summary of the forward calendar. Um, and here's the the topics we've identified for the next three months. And um, um, yeah, again, welcome. Uh, any thoughts from you all on this? And that concludes my report. I'm becoming a professional lip reader. I'm so <laughs> um, thank you so much, um, Executive Officer Pollock. I look forward to your presentations every single time. Um, and just to keep this short, I do have a running list of uh, folks that are able to help facilitate and also help um, uh, hold workshops for residents as far as like self-governance and how to maintain their cooperative. And then, uh, yeah, I, I have a whole list of resources. So I'll just keep it there and you're gonna receive a really long email. But um, yeah, thank you for this work. And thank you so much, Supervisor Preston for, for lifting that up in the housing uh, for Midtown. Really appreciate that. like uh, vice chair fielder might be having trouble unmuting if you okay. want to go ahead do, do you want to go ahead vice chair or do you want me to go okay i i will i will just jump in since you seem to be involuntarily muted there um and uh yeah i just wanted to thank uh, executive officer pollock for for the report echo uh, the comments of commissioner williams and also just specifically um really just lift up what I think is some very important work, particularly around Midtown residents. Um, as uh, Mr. Pollock stated, this is this is the only still remaining city-owned um, housing, um, in and and it, I think that the the residents there and there's a long long history around the expectations of residents when they moved into to Midtown originally of being on a rent to own plan and being owners of, of their homes and, and a lot of um, uh, promises not fulfilled to the residents. Uh, Midtown was a, you know, supposed to be making up for past harms of, uh, of, of redevelopment and uh, 
there's we will I'm sure go at some point into more depth, but I just want to say that it's um, I think very important and very meaningful to the residents of um, of Midtown Park Apartments that this um, process that they've wanted for a long time to really be part of a discussion about what the future of Midtown looks like um, it is is moving forward, um, and so um, while the while the dollars involved are not huge because it's really just to facilitate uh, a planning process and to and to look at the actual costs of doing some of the things to to repair and and um, have some independent analysis i think it's it's very significant that that's happening appreciate um the interest from fellow commissioners and and from lapco staff of of uh of facilitating that um and i think it's also important that as the the broader question of what role does municipal housing play in the city and LAFCO um, being being a leader in, in the work around the, the feasibility study that you mentioned. I think it's also really important that while we're having while we're looking at feasibility study more broadly, that we also recognize that we we have a municipal housing complex. It's one where the residents have been misled for years, where there's been attempts to jack up their rent, where they've had affordable housing models forced on them that they didn't want. And so I think it's uh, it, it's it's important that we are centering the residents and that the residents will be leading the way at the one municipal housing site that we currently have. Uh, there's a lot riding on the success of Midtown and excited to have LAFCO's in, involvement in, the, in that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Preston. Can you all hear me? I, for one, cannot wait for in-person meetings. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll be really quick with mine, which is, I think, you know, what, what HRNA has given us in the draft plans and what is needed to actually get a, get real progress on um, decarbonization financing through a green bank, through an MFC, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's still a big gap in specifics and I think it's prime opportunity for SF LAFCO to take on that gap. Um, there are plenty of public research institutions um, and of course, third party consultants that would be willing to draft out an actual plan for like a green bank and MFC. Um, and I know like that is, that is yet another study, but that's that's pretty much the truth. There is a lot to be said for the work that has already been done and trying to draw out, going from the ideal institution of the public bank and working backwards, but we really, really now need to work from where we are. I think this is gonna require an intensive work plan from someone um, to communicate with all the departments that, that you know, Department of Environment, SFPUC, SF LAFCO, Board of Supervisors, whichever else, to actually get the Green Bank going. So that's also something I'm going to be looking to my commissioners to support and talking more with Executive Officer Pollock about. Um, I know that's also an interest from at least uh, SFPU Chair Jami um, and using leftover MOU funds from the current and last MOU to, to study Green Banking. Um, so that's my bit, but Commissioner Singh. 
Yes, just wanted to, I'll keep it quick. Um, just wanted to echo my thanks for this plan. I think we, I'm really excited. Um, this is a very ambitious agenda for LAFCO this year. <laughs> and, um, you know, especially was just thinking about how, you know, with Midtown, we're, we're both trying to take the um, last city-owned public development and actually return, like promise the renters there what, they, what they've been owed for decades while also exploring new models of city-owned housing development. So um, I really feel like we have all our bases covered there and I'm very, very excited to see that, that work. And, um, you know, having been on LAFCO for several years now, um, I am always in awe of how much we're able to get done on a budgetary shoestring, so to speak. So I'm excited to see these plans unfold. Thanks, Thanks, Executive Director. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. Thank you, Executive Officer Pollock. Um, at this time, we're ready for public comment. Madam Clerk, can you please open the lines? Thank you, Vice Chair Felder. Will that be for one or two minutes? That will be for one minute. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number five? Please dial star three now. For those already on hold, please continue to hold until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Checking to see. Please forward the first caller. Hello again, Commissioners. Eric Brooks with Our City SF and Californians for Energy Choice. I just wanted to touch on one thing that Executive Officer Pollock mentioned, which is joining uh, a potential Golden State Energy public, statewide public power system. Uh, that relates to what I said previously. A public power system on the state level is a much more sensible option. It lets California, with its much larger budget, take on the battle of taking over all of PG&E's wires without the local communities having to do that, and that would free us up to continue clean energy build-outs and programs, community choice programs like Clean Power SF, so that's really important. Thanks. Thank you for your comments, Eric Brooks. We do not have any additional callers. Thank you. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number six? Item number six is general public comment. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment should dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2494-222-1523, then press pound again. If you have not already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. As a reminder, this is for any items that do not appear on the agenda but are within the purview of the commission. The system prompt will also indicate that you have raised your hand Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. We currently have two listeners with one speaker in the queue. May we please have the first speaker. Hello again, Commissioners. Eric Brooks with one last, with one last comment. Um, I noticed that we've, we are doing one-minute public comments. I want to remind the LAFCO that it had decided a, a few years ago to do three-minute public comments. I'm assuming you're doing one minute simply because uh, there are time constraints on one of the commissioners, but please do let the public know when that's why the public comment uh, period is being shrunk. And I just wanted to note for the clerk that we had the LAFCA had decided on three minutes, not two minutes. So hopefully that policy is continue continuing. Sometimes 
things like uh, public financing and public banks, and especially clean energy, can be very complex, and the public, on especially that last issue, needs a little bit of time to be able to explain its positions at times because of that complexity. Thanks. Thank you for your comments, Eric Brooks. There are currently no other speakers. Thank you. Um, seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. And Madam Clerk, can you please call item number seven? Apologize. Item number seven is future agenda items. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2494-222-1523. When then press pound twice again. If you haven't done so already, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will prompt that you have indicate raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, are there any future agenda items to note? Um, I will note that um, I'll work with the Executive Office of Pollock, but I would love to invite Marin Clean Energy to present on their plan for retrofitting affordable housing and managing their electricity as a virtual power plant. As I understand, Clean Power SF was exploring a similar idea with Department of Environment and the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. I'm interested to just hear more. Um, and also at some point in future LAFCO meeting to invite Peninsula Clean Energy to present on their plan for what they have right now, which is 99% time coincident renewable power. Um, and it seems like we have a lot of other studies to discuss. So we'd love to discuss those other proposed studies, um, municipal housing and green bank and potentially municipal community laundromats. Um, but seeing no other commissioners, uh, let's now open this up for public comment. Are there any members of the public who'd like to comment on item number seven, Madam Clerk? Thank you, Vice Chair Felder. Remote public column members, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We currently have two listeners with one speaker in the queue. May we please have the first speaker? Hello again, Commissioners. Eric Brooks, Our City SF and Californians for Energy Choice. Just want to make sure something I mentioned a few minutes ago and want to make sure it stays on the table is that as global warming gets worse, we're going to get higher uh, temperatures and worse heat waves that especially affect low-income communities the hardest in San Francisco. And we, the city has strong ordinance language that is ensuring uh, that heating is ensured during cold times in San Francisco, but no... Uh, currently has no rules requiring that cooling is ensured, and that's going to be important as these really dangerous heat waves get worse. Uh, I've got text in to uh, Commissioner uh, um, uh, uh, Preston's office on that and hope to hear back soon on moving forward with adding cooling requirements to the city codes. Thanks. 
and thank you for your comments, Eric Brooks. There are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, is there any other business before us today? The only business ahead of the committee or the commission is to adjourn this meeting. All right, well, thank you all so much and our meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.